Welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Panjway Podcast. As always, you can find our episodes on all podcast platforms, as well as YouTube and Facebook for the video episodes. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice, and if you enjoy what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash the Panjway podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at the Panjway podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store. So if you head over to the and click on the store tab, You'll see stickers and other merchandise, and who knows what might come down the pipeline. So remember, on all three platforms, that's the Panjway Podcast, P-A-N-J-W-A-I Podcast. Thank you. What, have you have you spent any time in Georgia, Tom? Um, just passing through. That's I drove good. down there once, a couple times. That's good. You know, don't stop. Much. Don't yeah. don't stay. <laughs> Savannah Savannah's cool. That's yeah, nice. Coastline. Um, uh, coastline's pretty cool. Dahlonega area is really cool. That's it. That's it. Rest of Georgia sucks. Rest of it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But just basically Alabama. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, we're sitting here with Thomas Underhill. Thomas is a combat medic who served in 125 out at Fort Rainwright, and he was in 5, what was it, 15 Cav? Oh, it's 15 Infantry. 15 Infantry, I'm sorry. I know yeah, how no deeply worries. offensive that must have been. 15 <laughs> uh, yeah. Infantry at Cop Sperwangar. Uh, actually, Cop. Tomorrow was the second half of his deployment in 2011 into 2012. We'll cover that here in a little bit. The point is, he's a fellow Spurwangar veteran, and we ripped out with him. So we knew, knew it at the time, but we probably passed each other in the hallway and called each other assholes, because <laughs> that's what you do to the other <laughs> units. If I would have noticed oh, your name tag, I would have definitely made a, hob- a Hobbit comment, for sure. <laughs> I, I get them all the time. I'm sure yeah. you do. Yeah, that's a classic. It is. It is a, cl- it is a classic uh, Tolkien name. Yeah. I do. I guess we do have to ask. You don't live under a hill, do you? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> but That's you do true. have a hobbity accent, which is nice, pleasing to the ear. Yes, yes, it is. And with that, let's go ahead and give uh, Thomas a chance to give us the standard breakdown of a, of a Panjoy podcast episode. How how you came to join the army? Why the fuck do you have a British accent? Uh, <laughs> how you came to join the army why you chose to uh, become a medic and kind of the chain of events that led to your first and only deployment to Afghanistan well it's nice to see you guys again um, so I moved to the US when I was a kid about 6 years old and as far back as I could remember I wanted to be in the military one branch or the other and uh, it started out with the Air Force, wanted to be a fighter pilot, I think, like most kids do, as, right. as we all do. And uh, then I learned that I needed some, some sort of education to kind of do that stuff. So I ended up uh, lowering my expectations to helicopter pilot, which you still need <laughs> education whoa, whoa, for. Lowering your expectations? <laughs> it's way harder to fly a helicopter than fly a jet. Just saying. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> and then uh, I I tried out uh, going to the Marine recruiter and found them too intense. And then uh, landed thread. the Army. Army recruiter wanted to go into, uh, what was it, counterintelligence. Mm. And uh, at the time, I didn't, I wasn't a citizen, or at least I didn't think I was, so... The requirement for that MOS was U.S. citizenship. So the recruiter came back to me and said, uh, you need to pick something else. And uh, I landed on medic somehow. Luck of the draw? Yeah, luck of the draw. (laughs) (laughs) There was uh, some sort of education bonus that Ah, I've not ended up using at all. Right. 
that's not an uncommon path to the uh to whatever role in the army it's like i want to be a fighter pilot no i'll go be in the marine corps uh yeah. i'll do the army yeah. <laughs> yeah. the whole reason i yeah. didn't go with the marines because they wouldn't let you pick a job that's a big yeah. one yeah 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 i didn't know that at the time <laughs> <laughs> so they're just way too intense yeah right so once you started your uh, your medic training and started getting into that, was it was it something that you kind of enjoyed, or was it something you just kind of did as part of your job? No, I really enjoyed it. It was yeah. uh, intellectually stimulating as much mm-hmm. as uh, it can be. They dumb it down quite a lot for uh, Asami guys. It's not uh, <laughs> well. We are retarded. <laughs> <laughs> the infantrymen, maybe. Bam! First shot. Yeah. Oh wait, 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 wait. Hey! There we go. Yeah. So I did my basic training at Fort Sill. With I think my entire basic training company was full of medics, and we all shipped down to Fort Sam Houston to do our AIT at the same time. And then AIT. I can't remember. Um, it's surprisingly short, if I remember correctly. I think I went on Christmas leave just before, and then came back and graduated base or AIT about May time. So it's kind of short. Kind of short. <laughs> I but, don't know. I guess uh, it just depends on what your definition of a short AIT would be. For me, something medical I feel like should be more than four and a half months, but that's just me. You learn a whole lot more once you get to your unit. And I think that's the same with every, <laughs> every MLS. job in the army. Every job. You, uh, you go even through. pilots, believe it or not. Really? Not or you learn this at your unit. It's like, but I'm at flight school. I feel like I should learn it here. Nah, ain't got time. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of that. You'll you'll learn what you need to know when you get there. So mm. this should really be the motto of the army. Like forget army of one or whatever. It's just like join the army. You'll learn what you need to at your unit. Yeah. <laughs> you learn what you need. You learn what you need to on the ground in Afghanistan. OJT yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of that. So when did you graduate uh, AIT? What year? Um, that would have been early 2010. Mm. Uh, after that shipped off to do, Actually, I came back home for a week or two to do the hometown recruiting, which was just a free week of leave, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Call the recruiter every day. Hey, are we going into a school? No. All right. I'm going to hide away. <laughs> it's essentially hometown recruiting. I don't know mm. if they do it anymore or not. I think so. That's a pretty popular program. Yeah. And then uh, after that, Went out to Alaska. Actually met my uh, barracks roommate in uh, in the airport, and we traveled together. Nice. It was, and we stuck together all the way up until we deployed. Then we ended up getting put into separate companies. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know about your unit, but our unit kept the medics as part of the HHC uh, company until we deployed. Then we got kind of farmed out to. The line Sounds companies. Right. Same yeah. thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Here. Although we always had medics attached to our companies. Like, even when we weren't deployed, we always had, like, a company medic. They just didn't They didn't live with us. They didn't, like, they weren't. Hanging out there. Yeah. Like they, they were the de facto medic for the company, but they lived in HHC, and they did right. everything HHC. It's just, like, when we, would, when we would train or whatever, we'd have our medic with us. Right. Yeah. So, I did... Uh, about half a year up in Alaska before we started getting ready for deployment. The, mm. the rumors started flying pretty much as soon as I got there. Mm. Well, hey, we're going somewhere. They'd just come back from Iraq the year before, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we moved along, uh, went to NTC, did some not so useful training, driving around in the desert. <laughs> uh, did do some useful live tissue trainings though on some goats. secret squirrel location uh oh, really? we did goat training in texas at fort sam and then that's awesome we did some training with pigs in california somewhere 
Really? Uh, undisclosed location. I have no idea where we were. <laughs> Peter would fucking flip. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, give us a little rundown on the live tissue training because I thought like it was something that we've, we've talked about in the podcast yet. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, actually. Oh, really? Uh, well, then we won't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I can talk about it. There you go. Because I don't you know. I'm no, not I'm, under it. I'm not uh, under it. I haven't here. actually seen it, so I can speculate. I suspect what happens is that there's farms full of pigs and goats that get shot, stabbed, blown up, you know, etc. And then people get to work on them because it's valuable training. Yeah. It's uh, pretty much what you say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know in the 18 uh, Delta course... Their goats have a very, very, very rough time. They do. Um, very, very rough time. Like, PETA would be very disappointed. So I suspect, again, that it's very similar. But we'll move on so we don't get Tom in trouble. <laughs> right. I don't think anyone's going to come after me about a goat, but who knows? Dude, have you seen PETA? Whoo. This is true. <laughs> all right so you do your uh automatic training you kind of wrap all that up a little bit of time in uh alaska you and you're up in wainwright which for our uh geographically challenged listeners and most that really don't give a shit because why would you um wainwright is outside of fairbanks which is kind of central kind of the north central part of alaska not even quite the northern part of alaska no mm -hmm. Um, but north of the mountain ranges, so more uh, north of Denali and some of the more prominent peaks, uh, yep. as opposed to the striker unit, which is in Jay Bear, which is joint base Elm, uh, Elmendorf Richardson. I think you uh, got that backward. Uh, did I? Is it strikers and Wainwright and strikers Airborne and, and Jay Bear? Yeah. Gotcha. So I see. That's what we're here. That's what you're here for, for the geography challenge people like myself that live in the yep. state. Uh, so, yeah. So you did that, and then rumors are flying. And when do you guys step off for your deployment? Uh, April of 2011. Did you have any idea where you're going? Or was uh, it we just thought, Afghanistan? Uh, we were told we were going to Aruzgan province. Uh, we trained as we were going there. Uh, mm -hmm. We were told it was mountainous, so we trained like we were going to the mountains, hiking up hills, and... Uh, you know, preparing for the cold, which for us was no big deal mm -hmm. being in Alaska. <laughs> and then uh, I thought we were still going to Grand province when I got off the plane at CAF. And uh, then I was told that we were going to stay in Kandahar province. Mm. And, uh, you know, we did the obligatory uh, IED lanes mm. as part of that. Oh, yes. And then... Uh, did you learn anything in your IED lane? Did you feel like it really prepared you for the experiences that you're going to have? No, not really. <laughs> I feel like they took the knowledge of what they learned in Iraq and then said, this is what we know. This is maybe what you'll see. Uh, have fun. The one thing that always tripped me out, well, word choice, was they had tripwires. Yeah. Like, I'm not so sure we ran into tripwires very much in <laughs> Afghanistan. Maybe we did. Please feel free to correct us in the comments. Yeah, they were definitely not unheard of. There were rumors. Right. Or at least unconfirmed to our unit. But right. uh, one of our sister battalions in the brigade, they did see some tripwires. Really? Oh. Yeah. With okay. the directed fragmentation charges and all that stuff going on they weren't very good at those Thankfully. they weren't yeah <laughs> like if it was anything more complicated than like a pressure plate or command wire they they struggled uh, i don't even think they did too many command wires at least very, not very for few. us yeah, yeah very very few. hardly any like not even two? i think i think uh anderson's was command wire uh um, yeah but that's the only one I know for sure. So, um, but yeah, so I, I, I didn't really feel like that kind of that prepared us much at all. And so your first stop outside of CAF, um, it was mostly in Dan District, right? Correct. Uh, Dan District, uh, Cop Ainsworth, which was set up by the Canadians before us. There was actually a Canadian omelet still there. 
when uh, when we showed up. They had their little aid station and their couple of tents. Uh, I think it was only six guys and two MRAPs maybe. Hmm. And the rest of the Canadians had already left from that that base at least. And for our listeners, an omelette is not broken eggs. Um, <laughs> it is actually, it's like they're training a assist team. And I don't remember what the acronym is. It's been explained before, but yeah, it's like they're training a SIS team. Yeah, uh, they would go out and assist Afghan army or local police right. and train them up and go on patrols with them. Um, they would usually get up before I did and come come back after I went to bed. So they were always out and hardly ever saw them. And they probably weren't, I mean, were they there until you left Ainsworth? Uh, no, they left sort of halfway through my stay at Ainsworth mostly when I think all the Canadians pulled out at that point and it was left to us around that time yeah and what was your patrolling like around Ainsworth I mean was it mostly mounted mostly dismounted kind of a mix of both so the topography of Dan district is different to Panjway district there's uh, very few grape rows it's very Mm -hmm. flat uh, mostly wheat fields, and most of those are not always tilled, so you can drive a striker around. So we did that a lot. We mount up in the morning, drive out to a village, meet with some elders, whoever they may be, and then drive home, maybe go to another place, do that. It wasn't a whole lot of dismounted stuff from Ainsworth. It wasn't a lot around it. It was maybe a mile, two miles north of the Reg Desert in in uh, Dan District. Wow. So where is Dan in comparison to Panjoy? Is it immediately to the east? Uh, Yes, immediately to the east. They border each other. Okay. Kind of in between Kandahar Airfield and Panjoy. So not far. No. No, not far Um, at all. Hop and a skip. So when you guys are in Dan, like kind of contact with stuff were you seeing? Was it consistent? Was it uh, sporadic? Was there none at all? It was none at all. It was... Completely pacified. Really? Even like yeah. even with IEDs? Uh, we only encountered one IED, or at least my company only encountered one IED while we were in Dan District. Really? And that was actually right on the border with Panjway. Oh, really? So it was basically in Panjway. It was basically <laughs> Panjway. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that I've noticed a lot is guys who shifted mid-deployment. If they come from other areas, they may not have had as much you know small arms, but it seems like everybody was fighting IEDs all the time. Like our yeah. EOD team was like that. Like they came from an area where I don't think they say they hardly any contact, but they were fighting. They were dealing with IEDs constantly. So that's interesting to see though. Just hopping to skip away, completely different world. And the border was the Tarnak River, right? Uh, I believe so. Um, I crossed it a couple of times to go to some some of the villages on the other side. Mm. Uh, that ended up being the AO of our Charlie company basically for the whole deployment. I think Mm. Um, there was not a whole lot going on in Dand. It was pretty boring routine, lots of guard duty Mm -hmm. for me up in the towers with the ANA signing (laughs) sign language at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So when you guys got spun up to count the Panjway, I mean, had you heard what was going on in Panjway before you guys came? And was it like rumor mills churning? I mean, you guys were hearing reports from your, you know, their units or whatever. Not really. I We didn't really get a whole lot of heads up that we were moving. And mm-hmm. uh, right before we moved, I went on my mid-tour leave because uh, I, we did a 12-month deployment, so they're mm-hmm. still doing leaves. And uh, when I came back from my leave... I got dropped off by helicopter at a completely different base. <laughs> you know, where is this? Did you get did you get dropped off on Sparewingar? Yeah. Oh, nice. What did you think when you stepped off the bird? Were you, were you like, oh, this is nice? Or I guess maybe Cops Ainsworth might have been nice, though. Uh, Sparewingar was really nice, even compared to Ainsworth. Nice. Um, Club Med. Nice. <laughs> Deluxe apartment in the sky. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it had a proper aid station, which was, for it me, did. it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a PA and everything. Yeah, with a PA and everything. So we had our battalion PA there, along with one of the oh, medics okay. from HHC as his assistant, essentially. Nice. So 
I didn't really have to deal with the aid station at all other than hanging out in there, right. doing training, watching TV. Sure. That kind of stuff. Now, your arrival at Spurwangar was not your first time in Panjwakes. In fact, your first time in Panjwakes was very similar to an operation that we did in that you cleared the horn about six months before we did. Yep, we sure did. So, in September of uh, 2011, uh, actually for the anniversary of September 11th, Mm. Uh, we did Operation Bobcat Mole, where we air assaulted into the Horn of Panjway and cleared it from one side right into the very tippy tip at, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the village now. Wuxia Line. <laughs> no, oh. it's it's right by Cop Line. I know what you're talking about. I cannot remember the name of the village either. Doab, I think There it was. you go. That's yeah. it. So we cleared into Doab, and then uh, at the same time, well, my company was taken all the attention uh the other companies in our battalion pushed strikers and engineers out and they built cop lion right at the tip really yeah so how did how is it that your company i guess your battalion got pinged with this if it was way out of their AO? um i think they just wanted extra manpower and we were available mm-hmm. and you know our district was quiet quiet mm-hmm. so they put us on a bird with uh, two companies of ANA, and then the three companies of our battalion, all doing their jobs. Where did they drop um, you off in comparison to Spearwangar? East, west, west. I think I don't I remember been west. ever seeing Spearwangar. I think mm-hmm. we were west of there. Yeah, it had to have been. Probably started around Zangabad. Be a good guess. That's where yes. we started. <laughs> <laughs> we started even further west than Zangabad. We started at Talakan. Did we? Mm-hmm. Hmm. so this was uh so you guys did this clearing operation it was your like first legit combat of the tour then huh um it wasn't the first uh i guess ieds that we'd seen mm-hmm. or we'd seen one before uh in june mm-hmm. or was it july i can't remember uh where we or one of our vehicles hit an ied mm right next to the Tarnak River on the border of Panjway. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was my first gunfight or okay. series of gunfights. Yeah, right. So so in the first situation, you would have earned your CMB. And would this be where you earned your cab? Or did you get the, the cab in both situations? So medics don't get cabs. At all? Nope. I Unless, feel like I should well, have known that. Maybe they do. I think you can get a cab if you're not attached to an infantry or a combat arms uh, unit. So if you're, I don't know, in a civil affairs unit or something, maybe you'll get a cab. I can't remember the particulars. Interesting. I guess I always thought that, like, you know, the CMB would be for treating somebody and that the cab was just for duking it out. Yeah. Huh. The requirements for the CMB are basically the same as the CIB, as far as I remember. You just have to take contact. You don't even have to treat anybody. Really? really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I've been living under a lie for the past nine <laughs> and a half years. <laughs> so you you really, uh, so when you guys got and started clearing up the horn, you know, what, what was going on? When did shit really start going down for you guys? Day one? Day one. Uh, we went in right after midnight. It was dark. Mm-hmm. Set up a little, uh, little patrol base to kind of rest for a little while. Force some of the guys to strip off their cold weather gear because mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason they were wearing it and dying of heat by the middle of the morning. <laughs> and uh, that was actually the first time we got shot at as far as I can remember. Just a couple pop shots over a, a mud wall. Really? Didn't see them. At night? Uh, no, it was during the day oh, in okay. the morning. So the sun started coming up and started taking contact. Huh? Yeah. And then... Uh, started moving west towards Doab mm-hmm. and uh, we got into our first big firefight. Um, for that, <laughs> I don't remember a whole lot other than I moved up to start shooting and something exploded. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an IED in a tree or an RPG that hit the tree, but it sprayed shrapnel and hit uh, quite a few of our guys. Uh, our PL took some. The 
platoon sergeant took some RTO, the weapon squad leader, and I think maybe one more guy. Mm. So five casualties, none of them super seriously hurt, uh, except the platoon sergeant. He ended up getting evacuated from Afghanistan. Mm. And uh, luckily, I had another medic with me on that on that what, operation, whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a FET with us, and one of the oh really the, the fem- one of the soldiers female engagement on the teams yeah female engagement team. One of the soldiers on the female engagement team was a medic also. Wow, uh, Valerie Cronkite is a great medic and an awesome soldier. She saved my life a few times on that operation. Wow, just nice. <laughs> either making me go to sleep or uh, <laughs> or uh, you know just keeping my head straight. She was great. So I guess the the female engagement teams. It's usually what it's a it's. I think it always is a medic. No, obviously there's an interpreter, and usually yeah. like only two or three people, right? Yeah, exactly. I think we only had two because they split the fet between a couple of our uh, platoons. Mm. It was an, it's a really interesting mission, um, and they had a lot of autonomy. They did. You know, if you imagine, you only have two women. You know, in, a, in an operation that size, one of them's a medic. The other one's probably a uh, an interpreter. It's like, yeah, crazy. I think our battalion's fet was one officer, uh, an NCO, an interpreter, and then the medic. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. And maybe one more. It's very similar to how like a civil affairs team is set up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So you clear the horn. Um, which obviously is not just a minor thing. It took you, what, 10 days to do it? Uh, officially, it was 10 days. I think we left after or before that. Okay. Uh, it was just run into one big giant memory for me. Sure, there was very little sure. sleep and a lot of things going on. I don't remember sleeping fight, a whole lot. Did the, fight and the fighting worsen throughout the week or did it kind of subside after those first couple, three days? It subsided. As yeah. Most of the village we villages we went into were empty. Really, they were, all the IEDs were turned on, you know, batteries mm-hmm. plugged in, mm-hmm. and everyone had gone except for the guys who were going to stick around and fight us. We we encountered a few families that didn't leave, and uh, you know, we talked to them. They'd point us in the wrong direction, and <laughs> it was what it was. It is what it is. Mm. Yeah. Um, now at the end of that operation, you got all the way down to Doab, got to Cop Lion, and yep. then how'd you get out? Uh, we we were gonna fly out, and then the helicopters didn't show up, so we ended up walking about six miles east, and then we got picked up <laughs> by strikers, <laughs> driven to a cop. I th- it was either Lion. Uh, Zangabad, one of those, and then we flew from there back to Dan District. You know, 10-minute flight. Really, really glad you guys got that extra walk in. I'm sure your legs were just, you sure, sure the one stretch your legs. excited about that, yeah. Running around with ripped pant legs. Mm-hmm. Everybody. It was, I think, 50% of the guys, their pants were ripped right down the oh, leg yeah. seam. Yeah, or or some, right in the crotch. Yeah, some really good photos of just guys with their balls hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a lesson to the people that make, well, it's not the people that make the uniforms. It's the people who choose the material with which the uniforms are made. It's the congressman it's, who's got his money. They in, fucking suck. Into uniform manufacturing. If all yeah. you're doing is sitting on the fob, they hold up great. But if you're climbing over things and like falling down and like going through water and like kneeling down every five seconds or lay they they fucking get destroyed i don't know yeah, how do. many pairs of bottoms i went through like i got to the point where i was running i was running close to running out so like i was to go on patrol at least with. oh i went through more than that yeah about a long oh t- 10 in addition to the the six that i brought with me at least oh yeah 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 i would say that every every week and a half i was probably needing new, a new pair of pants They'd send them to you, though. You go on. I can't remember the website or whatever it was or what uh-huh. it was called. Really? You go on and order pants and oh yeah, I forgot glasses and whatever you wanted. That's so we totally did that, but so they did something dirty, and like we, they would only they they picked for us what we got. So everyone okay. got fucking PTs. 
<laughs> like nobody got pants. Nobody, that nobody got stinks of and we all got boots. Cause no one needed boots because we all bought civilian boots. It's mm-hmm. so like all these brand new pairs of boots arrived for us, and we just gave them to the Afghans. That stinks all, of our um, battalion leadership, not the battalion we were attached to, but our sister home battalion leadership. Oh yeah, they were yeah. fucked up. Yeah. The only time we actually got pants is when we sent people back to CAF when they went on like their little supply runs and we like sent them to like the warehouse where you could just straight up trade stuff. Yeah. And that's how we got pants. Mm -hmm. No, we were given access. So lots of pants. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, Lots of iPro Mm -hmm. gloves. I went through gloves like no other. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually because I would take them off to treat somebody and then they'd get lost. So mm-hmm. I'd need a new pair of gloves. The two or three times I'd have a brand new pair of gloves on that day. We'd have someone that I needed to treat, take them off, and they disappear. Yeah, or or <laughs> worse, they're covered in blood. It's not a pair of gloves you want to put back on. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So that that was your intro to Panjway. That was yeah. your. That was yeah, my is, intro. This is this Panjway place. Good thing I don't live there. <laughs> um, and then you come back from leave and you arrive at Spurwangar. Exactly. And this was uh, late October, early November? Uh, roundabouts, yeah. So what what were the first couple months like uh, around Spurwangar, kind of in your in your new your new digs and your new AO? It was pretty quiet for gunfights, but... IEDs we'd find, mm-hmm. call out EOD, you know, the usual stuff. We would never, almost never took EOD with us on patrol. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to call them and someone would have to bring them to us, which was in hindsight probably not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did have them, they were very useful. That was that was a lesson that we, it took us a while to learn too. I think probably our first two months or so, mm-hmm. we did the same thing. We'd go out without them. And then we foolishly thought we just needed to call them for every single pressure plate. So we'd find a pressure plate. We'd wait four hours for them because it took us four hours to walk there. And they come out and they blow it up and they walk back with us. But eventually we were like, either you're coming with us or we're going to blow it ourselves. And that's what we ended up doing, much yeah. to their disappointment. <laughs> they didn't. They did not like that we had the ability to blow our own IEDs. It was. <laughs> and when when Russ explained why, he had a very good reason why. Uh, but at the time, we really just didn't enjoyed the autonomy of being able to be like, nah, fuck it. Yeah. Blow it. Blow it. <laughs> Kaboom. Kaboom. So, lots of IEDs and lots of time wasted on EOD. Did you guys kind of adapt a little bit more as you, as you pushed on to, to bring them with you more? Or So, my patrolling time in Panjway was actually kind of short. I spent from late October early November until about January time on the line going on patrols. And then I was actually promoted to company senior medic. So I was taking care of everybody on the, on the base. Well, Mm -hmm. including our PA who was fantastic. Gained a lot of good training from him. Nice. So when you go over the company medic role where you have to do with a lot of like Afghan casualties and stuff like that, because our company medic was always fingers deep in random Afghan soldiers that would get brought to the cop and medevaced. I didn't. I saw a couple of Afghan soldiers. Uh, we actually had a lot of people just show up at the gate mm-hmm. with like no legs, and they'd bring them on, and then we'd end up flying them out. They mm-hmm. kind of nixed that at the end because the rules changed, and the Afghans were supposed to evacuate their own instead of relying on us to do it. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know if we ever turn anybody away. Sure. But, yeah, I can't uh, imagine that we would. We did uh, end up training the private security guards on first aid. So oh, really? <laughs> when we did have people show up at the gate hurt, it wouldn't be on me to run down to the gate after getting the radio call and then getting someone to drive a gator down with a litter and then taking them all the way back up to the aid station. Nice. Um. So after you after you've been there for a little bit, you guys uh, kind of got geared up for a company, a multi day company operation. Yeah, uh, and this ended up being kind of a big day for you guys. Can kind of 
talk us through the the lead up to that, the kind of the reason for the mission, and then um, you know day one was a shit show, so we can jump straight into it. Yeah. So it was another clearing operation, uh, moving out west from Spoengar uh, towards the two eight grid line. The the two eight grid line that the we always hear about. Grid line. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, so the first day we walked a lot. We left early. I can't remember the time, and we were going to walk out as far as we could go, and then make our way back clearing. And then uh, we actually ended up taking contact sort of in the middle of the day. Uh, a guy stuck an AK through a door, popped off a few rounds as I was going over the wall, heard bullets whiz by, and then that was it. He booked it. Luckily, we had a predator on station. Mm. So our fister was on the radio with them. And uh, we ended up having them shoot a hellfire at those guys. Nice. Uh, at least one of them was killed. I don't know what happened to the other guy. Mm. And, uh, so we went to search the body, you know, do our bat and hide on him, see if he was a known Talib or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, where we found his body, about 200, 300 meters down the pathway, was a compound that we ended up going into that was a weapons cache. So. Lieutenant Vote was down there with a squad, and they were going through. They found some RPGs, a couple AKs, bits and bobs, maybe some IED materials. Can't exactly remember. And uh, outside that compound, there were two IEDs. And I specifically remember uh, Specialist Pareto. He'd actually been just promoted to be a team leader. I remember him coming out of the door of the compound and just a big explosion where he was. And uh, I heard somebody calling for me, you know, yelling for a medic. I think they called Beam by name, actually. So they're yelling Underhill. Mm-hmm. And I went running. I knew what I needed to do as soon as I saw the explosion. And uh, one of our squad leaders, Sergeant Lassick, actually grabbed me by the back of the plate carrier and stopped me just before the second IED went off. And uh, that one hurt our platoon leader, Lieutenant Vote. So I went from one severe casualty to two, mm-hmm. and uh, which for a medic, a platoon medic, is that's a mass cow, especially as severely wounded as they were. Right. both uh bilateral leg amputations and uh so i was bouncing back and forth between the two telling whoever was there to do whatever i needed i had guys uh hooking up iv lines for me making sure tourniquets were tight wrapping everything with uh, israeli dressings as much as i could do um lieutenant vote was his amputation was so high that we couldn't put a tourniquet on it. And I ended up using a large uh, Israeli dressing or an abdominal dressing in this case uh, mm-hmm. to kind of cover the wound. That was, that was a rough day. Yeah. And uh, I wasted, wasted. I used all my medical supplies. I was black, completely uh, completely out. Used everything I had, all my fluids, all my gauze, tourniquets. It was all gone. And they were they were both picked up in a pretty reasonable time by the medevac. Um, it could have been faster, actually. Sure. So uh, we got them both on Skedcos, and I ended up dragging Lieutenant Vote myself because there was a bridge over a little ditch, and I. Solo, just me dragging him. We dra- I dragged him into the LZ, and we threw smoke grenade, but it was red. So the helicopter pilot took it as, don't land here, not this is where we want you to land. Even oh though gosh. in the nine line, we said red smoke. Right. So he came in, said, oh, shoot, don't land here, and took off again, and uh, circled around, landed a di- in a different spot. So we lost 
maybe five, ten minutes to that. Mm. And that was crucial time. Yeah, absolutely. And what was your kind of, what, what were you thinking about your two patients when, when you loaded them up about in terms of their, their condition? So I honestly thought that uh, Lieutenant Vogt was the worst off. Uh, Peretta, he was actually still pretty conscious at the time. And, uh, you know, I put him on the bird, you know, kissed him on the forehead, said, see you later, best of luck kind of thing. And uh, I didn't find out until a couple of days later that Peretta had passed away on the way to CAF in the helicopter. And uh, and then we started receiving reports of uh, everything that went on at CAF to save Lieutenant Vogt. No, when well, and we'll get we definitely are going to talk about that here in a yeah. second. Um, so when you when you dropped him off, I mean it was back to mission, right? Like you guys were day one of a what a two day planned operation, two or three days, yeah. I think they ended up cutting it short to two. So they cut it short. To, well, how generous? Yeah. Um, the, uh, what what happened next? So you're you're out, you're on patrol, you're black on all your medical supplies. You just had a mask out. Your PL's gone. What what was what was the next move? So we had our company commander with us, uh, Captain Bulls, and. He called me over and asked me, you know, if we take another casualty, can you deal with it? And I said, no, I'm black on medical supplies. You know, all we have is what we have in our first aid kits on us. So uh, we made a movement back towards Sperangar where we met. Uh, they put together a, a quick patrol and sent some strikers out to pick us up on the road somewhere. I can't remember where. And then drove us the last mile or so to uh, to the base and they dropped us off on the firing range <laughs> down down at the bottom of the hill and we uh, you know put ourselves together down there and they actually had us sleep on the firing range before we went back out the next day so you went all the way back to your base yeah and they put you on the range instead of putting you back up into your bunks yeah and you went back out the next day correct um, and did, were you driven back out to the point where you'd been left off or was it basically just like you restarted the whole mission from square one? Um, so we ended up doing the villages just, just west of, uh, route Brown. Um, I can't so remember. they changed the objective too. They, they just, they, they juggled the objectives and whatnot. That was not anything I was concerned about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, as the medic, you kind of, or at least in the platoon, you kind of the, uh, platoon sergeant's puppy yes. just follow him around yep and uh you know i just follow him wherever he goes i go and uh you know, i knew the overall outline of the mission but the specifics i didn't need to know i was more concerned right. about keeping my guys alive sure. making sure that they had all their medical supplies that their medical supplies were still in in date and uh you know, not damaged because I did find that a lot that, oh, yeah. you know, sitting in the IFAC and climbing over things and bumping mm -hmm. into stuff, mm -hmm. your, your needles would bend or your packets would wear open. So mm -hmm. we'd go through and replace all that stuff before missions. So that's the stuff I was concerned about. Not so much, you know, where we were going and who we were sure. seeing. So day one, you go out, mass cal, retrograde yep. back to spur one. Sleep on the firing range, rearm, refit, get ready, go back out, change a mission, and you do a patrol just outside the gate on day two, and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, that day, we actually sat in the village just right outside and watched uh, A-10s assist our third platoon, who were also out doing the same sort of mission, but they were east of Route Brown. Okay. And uh, they got into some contact and... That's right, because you were saying you guys split the AO by Route Brown. So you guys only patrolled, well, mostly patrolled to the west, and your third platoon mostly patrolled to the east. Yes, exactly. And then uh, our MGS platoon, I think, had Little Regate onto the south, and uh, <laughs> some other small small AOs. But I could be wrong on that. Was... Sure. 
I mean, you, you guys stick to that pretty religiously. Um, did, was there ever any crossover? Or was it pretty pretty rigid? It was pretty rigid. I don't ever remember going east or into really? at least into the villages east of Route Brown. For some reason, we would go up to the mosque up near Massengar for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Opie Mosque, yeah. Opie Mosque. And then uh, there were some villages actually on the north side of right, uh, Route Hyena that we'd go visit every once in a while, mm-hmm. but not too often. There wasn't a lot there, just right. a couple villages, and then it was riverbed out until uh, up to the Argandab. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're always off to the east, and I actually kind of like that idea. I feel like it gives you a little bit better knowledge of your AO, and like you get to actually know the people in the villages, and maybe you don't like become BFFs or anything, but you recognize them, and you might notice yeah. somebody that isn't usually there. So I think there's actually, I actually kind of like that decision. Um, kind of wish we had done that. <laughs> uh, we just got to to experience it all. Got the full the full smorgasbord. But so you you wrap up that operation. At this point, you have no idea the condition of your patients. Forty eight no. hours out now. Yeah. Uh, when do you find out their status? Uh, we get back in the evening, and uh, company commander calls a you know a powwow in the in the talk, and he he told us. You know, he told us that Lieutenant Boat was, he was alive. He wasn't really very stable at that point. And then he also told us that Peretta had passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the worst feeling. Yeah. And especially in my mind when I thought it would have been the opposite. Sure. And that, uh, that Peretta was doing better. And then, uh, it, uh, I never ever want to go through that feeling again. Sure. Luckily, I haven't had to. I hope you don't. Really. the The company commander he was out with you on day one when everything happened. What did was he out on day two as well? I can't remember honestly. I think so. Gotcha. So he, he 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 knew, and he was just kind of making sure you guys stayed mission focused. Mission focused, kind of trying to keep morale up as sure. much as he could. Um, at least that's what it was told to me that that was their reasoning, you know, sure. mm-hmm. don't tell us, keep the mission going. And then when we're done, we can find sure. out. Now, when did you find out about what was going on at CAF to save Lieutenant Boats? I don't remember, honestly. I just remember soon after we had a general from, I think it was the 82nd or maybe the 101st. Someone who was at, uh, I don't know, way up there. He came and visited us with a camera crew and everything. And they did a short interview. And uh, that's kind of when I figured out that something wasn't quite normal with what was going on. And then, you know, the details came in afterwards, you know. Um, Can you, if you, if you, from what you know, you can't tell us what happened at CAF once Lieutenant Boat got there. Yeah. So uh, I neglected to say that one of our NCOs was also hurt, just some minor shrapnel to face, uh, sure. Sergeant Lundy. And uh, he flew on the same helicopter with Lieutenant Boat and Specialist Peretta. And once they kind of picked his face clean, gave him a clean bill of health, um, he started going around because they'd actually run out of blood on calf to give to Lieutenant vote. So they went over on the, uh, the big voice and called for people to come to the hospital to give blood. And from what I heard, it was an international effort, you know, Brits, Romanians, civilians from wherever they come from, all lining up to give blood to help save Lieutenant vote's life. It was, uh, I think it was a really big day for army medicine. It, they kind of pushed the envelope of what could be done. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because uh, they had to stabilize him before they could fly him out of the country. So this, yes. was, this was their effort to kind of get him stable. Yeah. So they um, used all the blood that they had and they needed more. And you were saying that when you're doing a, a 
procedure like this when you know they're going to lose the blood anyway the blood type isn't quite as important as far as i know i mean i'm not a doctor and i never sure. profess profess to to be even though the infantrymen like to call me doc <laughs> you know i was really just a glorified emt right so, so i mean they were definitely given in blood that wasn't his blood type for sure I and mean, <sighs> they ran out of all the blood and calf my speculation is that all the blood that they have available is universal donor. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That, that would, just logistically, smart. that would seem easier. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But that's just, you don't have to worry about it. That's just speculation on my point. I don't know, but that would make Fair. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, it's despite the terrible nature of that situation and everything, like, there's a miraculous silver lining to it, you know, the fact that you you were able to treat him on the ground, someone whose wounds were devastating. I mean, the, yeah. the chances of coming back from those wounds are basically zilch, all the way through to him having a very successful recovery. So, you know, that that's for you. That's got to be something that you just carry forward with you in life, man. Something that you, you can, you know, yeah, it's hold on something to. Something I'm something I'm proud of. I actually went be. to his wedding. Yeah, which was really awesome to see. Uh, nice. I never thought it would happen, uh, just from what I saw, and and then a few years later, I'm at his wedding, partying it up, and it was it was great. It was really great. Nice. And for our viewers, it it is worth noting that um, Tom is here because Lieutenant Vogt contacted us and said you need to talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is somebody that is living his life. Um, like you said, he's married now. Uh, assume he's, he's he's still a double amputee. Yeah. Um, is it above the knee? Uh, it's actually yeah. It's basically at the hip. It's uh, wow, quite gosh, high. Man. So I mean that that to me that's pretty inspiring because I'm not so sure if I could be such a positive person with a, a high AK amputation that's just man i'd all i always said five pounds or less below the knee and i'm okay like i can that's that's not a huge intrusion on my life uh i mean what's it it's not the biggest intrusion it could be a lot worse i can live with that but damn man um and so this after this operation go time traveling doing tarantino back and forth here (laughs) um you know what? What's the rest of your deployment look after that operation? Oh, it was a lot of running around the cop, just looking after guys, making mm-hmm. sure that my guys, meaning the the medics in the platoons, were uh, well supplied. Um, you know, making sure that everyone's feet were good. That was an obsession of mine. <laughs> Somebody watched. We were soldiers. Yeah. Well, so two months in. When we were still at Ainsworth, I had a guy come to me. He's like, my feet really itch, Doc. Can you have a look? And he had trench foot. <laughs> oh, man. So he hadn't been changing his socks, not taking off his boots. Like oh, no, basic no, infantry no, no, stuff, no, no, right? No. <laughs> so from that moment on, it was take your socks off. Let me look at your feet. Mm. Like every day. I'd go in Good. and check on a squad or two just to make sure that they were, you know, not being dirty ass grunts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not having their feet rot off. Yeah. I know a couple a couple guys that were like that. It's like, Dude, There's always a few. There's always a few. Yeah. I never understood that, man. Like the first thing that happened, I got back to my room. Yeah. Was shoes. boots were off. Yeah. Before anything else came off. Boots were off, socks were off. I was in sandals. Oh like you could puppy's peel, gotta breathe, man. Yeah, peel your socks off like it's a second layer of skin. Yeah, and I go up to the roof and throw them disgusting. out. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I'd come back and I'd pick up my pants and I could just stand them in the corner. They're so rigid with sweat. I'm just going to go vomit now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that true. was everyone's experience. It's just yeah. being gross all the time. All the time. Disgusting. Just disgusting. Just gritty and sandy and just dusty. Ugh. And the only thing you got to look forward to was a cold outdoor shower. 
I loved the outdoor shower. The outdoor shower was legit because it a cold fantastic. outdoor shower is 120 degrees outside is quite pleasant. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I like the outdoor shower, especially at night. Look up and see the stars. It's actually kind of nice. Yeah. It was actually really nice. Yeah. I did the same thing showering at night. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. Mostly so I wouldn't have to see what was swimming around my feet. <laughs> <laughs> we won't spoil that one for our, our listeners. No. <laughs> uh, so, what 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 do you do now, Thomas? I'm. Uh, they call me an engineer, but I'm not really. I'm a field service technician. I work on uh, machinery. I got out of the medical field completely. I tried a little bit of medicine when I got got back, came out of the army, and uh, actually have a little bit of PST, PTSD. It's not super severe, but, uh, you know, going into a hospital and seeing people on a gurney, it just instant trigger. Yeah. I didn't want to do that anymore. So, okay, kind of... Done your time, man. There ain't, yeah. ain't no reason to, to continue down that road. I mean... For some people, it's a calling, you know, for some people, like for me, it's like, just like the infantry, you know, like I did my infantry time. I got no reason to do that again. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that for sure. Um, how, how is the whole, that whole experience, just, just the deployment, the, the individual events themselves, just like, how, how do you kind of carry those with you, you know, today? I, it's something I'm proud of. I, I feel Good. like. I did something good. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> it hurts inside sometimes. And uh, I worry about all the people that I was ever near. You know, I, maybe they weren't in my platoon. Maybe they weren't in my company. But if I knew you, I worry about you because, you know, I, being a medic, taking care of people was the, it was the thing to do. And it wasn't always physical either. Right. It was sometimes just being someone to talk to. Hey, hey, Doc, I'm having a hard time. And, you know, being that ear and, and being the morale guy, that was super important. We, uh, we had similar, similar experiences with ours. And it's, uh, I feel like it's an underappreciated aspect of what a combat medic does in combat. So everyone's like, yeah, Doc puts you together. He keeps you together, too. Um, so, yeah. T-shirts, huh? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag copyright. <laughs> there are, at points, medics can be kind of removed from the chain of command. You can walk into oh, the, yeah. the first sergeant's AO and just be like, hey, first sergeant, how's things going? <laughs> you feeling all right? Or, you know, even the battalion commander. Doesn't matter. And when shit hits the fan, you're in charge. Doesn't matter who's around, what rank they are. They could be, you know, a four-star general if we had one. I'm in charge. Right. I need you to put pressure on that wound. And anyone will do it. And I have memories of telling officers, senior NCOs, you know, do this for me. Not can you do this for me? It was do this for me. Right. And they did it. Anything for Doc. And it astounds me what an infantryman will do for a medic. Well, we love you him. damn sure don't call him a pogue. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. You'll get yeah. you'll <laughs> you'll get punched. Yeah. Yes. Not a pogue. Definitely. Not a pogue. And uh, there's always two people you don't fuck with, medics and cooks. Oh, we would oh. fuck with the cooks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel I feel like the supply guy is a really important one that you got to have on you your side. You got to be buddy buddy with the supply guy a little bit. That's true. You don't you don't have to be nice to him. Like yeah. it's not like being if you're mean to him, it's probably not going to hurt you. But there's a lot of benefits to being nice to him. But if Doc walks in and he's like, "Hey, bro, go give me a, a, a muffin from the deep," I go, "I got you, buddy. I got you. Anything else can I get you?" Because you, you don't want to be the one that didn't when he's yeah. treating me as like. This motherfucker didn't give me a, <laughs> a muffin. No. Hey, don't run. Walk. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I, uh, to, to go back in time again, the, mm -hmm. the day that Peretta and uh, Lieutenant Vote were 
were hurt. Um, one of the so we'd actually kind of split into two sections, and I needed to go from one section to the other. I was just going to walk between the two. They were only a couple hundred meters apart. Maybe I was being stupid. I was going to go alone. It's really far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Richardson, dude, I love you. He he's doc. I'm going to walk in front of you. If I step on something, fix me. And I remember every day that he did that for me. Hmm. And, you know, he was lucky because he could have been the one that hit that IED because hmm. we were heading right towards it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like there are so many examples of individual moments of courage like yeah. that that just, they, they don't ever get called out. Like, he's if he's the kind of guy to do that, he's also not the kind of guy to, to, to brag about it. No. You know, I don't think he he ever asks for recognition. So, I'm going to give you your recognition now. You, you saved my life or maybe saved my life. And I really appreciate it. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage, man. Yeah. Like, in an AO like that, you have two guys down and you're like, hey, I'm going to pick up my feet and I'm going to walk. If it hits me, it hits me. You know, that's, I have a lot of respect for that. That, yeah. Like I said, those small individual moments of courage often don't get recognized. Uh, so thank you for, for mentioning that because that's, yeah. that's the kind of stuff we want to talk about on here. This is, these are the memories of the war in Afghanistan that we want to be on people's minds. Stuff like that. Yeah. Individual courage. And um, you can be having the worst day like I was and then you have that courage and it so that light at the end of the tunnel that you know even though I'm in a terrible situation I've got guys around me that I can depend on yeah. you know thick and thin life and limb literally mm -hmm. yeah and you know I, I don't know what else to say I mean that's yeah I mean Tom we we usually end these things with kind of a chance for you to say what you want and get on the platform. But this has been an, an kind of an unusual episode, episode in that you've, you've been doing it all along and it's been really, really excellent points, but I'm still going to give you the, the chance to hop on your soapbox at the end. Okay. Um, <laughs> but just wanted to say, we really appreciated your insight because it's, sure. well, it's it, all these episodes are always different and we appreciate the, the approach that you've kind of taken in, but floor is yours. So I've been racking my brain for days about <laughs> what to say and, uh. you know, being that we're pulling out of Afghanistan, do I want to talk about that or do I want to talk about something else? And mm. what I keep coming to is, you know, fellow soldiers being nasty to each other. Mm. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the pogue in quotation marks, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this guy did. He stayed on the fob, but you know what? He made sure you eat. He made sure you ate. He made sure you had ammo or, you know, just he manned the artillery piece that was sitting on, on the base the whole time. Mm -hmm. Didn't do anything, but he was there if he needed him. And, you know, stop ragging on these guys. It's a team effort. And agreed. Um, you know, that's my piece. I think <laughs> just Not we're man. a team. We're all in it together and, you know, hold each other up. We're all, and we're all still here for each other. That's okay. another thing I want to say. It's just, if you need to talk to somebody, you know, reach out. I'm, I'm tired of losing buddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I lost more people from my company to suicide and stupid, stupid stuff after we got back from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then we actually lost from our company while we were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reach out and uh, talk to people and talk to everybody because yeah. sometimes you need a larger framework. Sometimes somebody doesn't have cell phone service, call the next guy. You know, yeah, reach out to everybody because that, that structure is there for you. And um, yes, be a better veteran. It's been a central <laughs> ethos to to the podcast is to be yeah. a better veteran. Be a Don't better be out veteran. on. Facebook making stupid comments on somebody's post because, you know, they didn't see the shit. Neither did you, bro. You know, 
it's um, be a better veteran and be and do right by the veteran community. And if there's one thing that's been positive to see out of the shit show in Afghanistan is the solidification of the veteran community around this like one joint effort to try and get as many people out as possible as quick as we can. So, exactly. Yeah. That's been really encouraging to see. So it, Tom, it has restored my faith. Yes. In the veteran community, which Same. had been faltering for quite a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for for I, the reasons that you were exactly just talking about. The exact so. reasons you were talking about. So uh, I'm, Tom, I'm happy man, to see we, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, glad you got to step in here and give us a little, little low down on what was going on before we got there. It sounds like, it's always a shitty place. <laughs> always. Yeah. I, so it definitely was. No, we appreciate your insight, man. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's our privilege. It's uh, a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pandroid Podcast. If you liked what you heard, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. New episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, Facebook, and YouTube. Visit www.thepandwaypodcast.com for more information.